Welcome to The Bottom of the Glass, a podcast about the art of traditional rudimental drumming and music of all origins. The Bottom of the Glass is hosted by Dave Loyal, Brendan Mason, and me, Brian Watkinson. We'll dig deep into the theories, the ideas, and the history of rudimental drumming, fifing, and world music through the words and experiences of those who are making music history today. All right, gents, man, this has been a while. You know, we just wrapped up our uh, our talks and our interviews and our conversations with the old guard. Not just one part of the old guard, but two parts of the old guard, the fife line and the drum line. And we talked about their uh, process and proceeds to actually get uh, invited to be part of the fife and drum line. So that was really fun. But... Tonight's going to be really fun because we have a special guest. That I'm actually, I, I'm just impressed that you didn't say prostate, as you were saying. Pros, the prostates <laughs> that they have. God, I was, on, I was like, on. if I had to say both of those words in one sentence, prostate <laughs> is definitely coming out. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's actually pretty, pretty hysterical. At the end of the of the drumline interview. Um, after we stopped recording, I was like, "Hey, so so who's who's driving an hour down to my shop and bringing me a cup of coffee?" Just joking. <laughs> and uh, three of them actually did. They actually drove down and brought. I me a saw cup that. Of that was so while. cool. Yeah, it was fun. They looked super happy to be there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a good hang. Yeah, that's great. So a so, lot, yeah. lots happening in the the fife and drum world. Even though it's it's been a pretty quiet, you know, off season. Let me tell you, yeah. I was happy to have the break. Uh, but we got back into it last week. We had an awesome Marty jam uh, that came back. It was such a such a pleasant time. Um, we I really missed having that. And then we also had drumming with uh, with the veterans down in New York. Yeah, Actually, Dave, you Island. took a train up there just to do a drum solo, and then you took a train back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I was only there for about may, maybe an hour and a half tops, and then uh, you know, five hours each way on the train. I had a great wow. time though. It was good to see everybody. Um, a lot of people were like, "You're nuts for for, for coming up," but you know, it's it, it's all worth it. It's all no. You, you know what, Dave? Though it's so good that you do that stuff, even though when you're doing it, you're like, "What the hell am I doing?" You know, I'm gonna be there for an hour. I'm doing ten hours of travel back and forth, but when it's all said and done that's a really important thing that you did and, and i actually got to sleep on the train which was actually very needed right that was great right right but we had some sad news in the in the fight drum community um just in the last few days as well the last few days as of us recording this that uh jack jack mcguire passed away um mm -hmm. super sad for the uh for the community um he had a lot of impact over a lot of years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was uh, one of the old guard of the the Landcraft, still around, one of the last uh, Sturt students, um, you know, pretty famous for writing uh, the drum stock drum beat, uh, Crazy Monumental. And um, man, uh, what an awesome, awesome, sweet guy. And, yeah. uh, you know, every time that I would say hello to him, he always had a smile on his face. He was always happy to see see me. And, um, you know, he was one of those guys. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when you're on the parade route and you're marching and you're pretty serious, you know, I, I'll, I won't stop for anybody. But he was one of those guys that I would get out of line for just to say hi. 
You know, nice. what a what a special guy. Him and uh, Hugh Quigley, probably the two sweetest men that I've ever met in Fife and Drum Corps. Um, and they both used to stand next to each other at Landcraft. So, yeah, um, yeah really sad that he's he's gone. But, um, man, what a legacy he left behind. For sure. How how old was he? Do you know? I think 83. No, no, no. Yeah. He, he He was over 90, I think, right? No, 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 no. No, you don't think so? Um, I think he was 83 or 85. I, I actually knew the answer to that because um, um, Bill Mailing had done the, the video of the Rudimenter with um, the entire uh, the Landcraft ensemble that was all over 85, I believe. Um, so, yeah, they, they were between 85 and 90 um, for, the, for the four drummers. And just seeing seeing him drum, I mean, he he was still he was playing it, you know. I mean, like he 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 looked like an old man, but I mean, once the sticks start moving, I mean, it's like all his whole life kind of comes back through the through the instrument, which is a really cool thing. So sweet. Yeah. Well, hey, anybody, you know, moving on, it, we have an interview coming up with uh, with John Wooten, and uh, we've been talking about doing this for, for quite a while. Is that is that is that Aran's? Like, do you guys smell that Cajun food? <laughs> like, do you hear a fan boat? Is that a fan boat? What's a fan boat doing here? Hmm. No way. Oh, my goodness. It's Clarence Boudreaux. Oh, man, it is Clarence Boudreaux. It is Clarence Boudreaux. This is cool. There he is on, on the Cajun practice pad. What's that? What's that? Oh, what's that? So... So Clarence, my TV or something. Wait, hang on. I was just practicing. I just practiced some of Doctor Chodown's tracks like that. Oh, they got, they got all kinds of stuff right here. I gotta click on that. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Good, Clarence. How you doing, man? You know, it's really good to chat with you. I mean, we're gonna talk to a relative of yours later on, uh, John Wooten, and we're not really sure how you're related to him. So maybe oh, you can lay man. that out. We go, yeah, well, you know, Dr. Chodon, he might, he makes me to call him that. I can't just call him John. He, he Dr. Chodon. Anyway, he, we, we were related, you know, it's a distance, distant relation like that. He, it's his mama's neighbor's godfather's cousin and Eunice is uh, married to some guy and and who used to who used to have a, a crawfish pond, and he he had a, a, a kid, and I don't I don't it's complicated, but I can't always remember it exactly. But we related like that. <laughs> so, I mean, did you grow up with him, or did you get along with him when well, you were kids? He's, he's a city boy, and oh. you know he's kind of a you know city boy. But uh, he, I grew up in the swamp, in the Chafalaya Basin, and uh, in a, uh, I, in, I had to take a pirogue to school, stuff like that. You know, it, it's a, it's a tough life, but it's good. The food's real good. I eat crawfish all the time. You know, we hunt alligators, stuff like that. And you know, I got a shed back there, and then so I got some, I got some tools, and so he asked me to make this, this Cajun practice pass. So I make these things for him. I don't even know what they're for, really. He's trying to how to play the 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 snare drum and uh, um, the rodents. I have to play a bunch of rodents. He said, "I don't know." We got no, rodents no, no. He swamp. he meant he meant rudiments. 
Rudiments. Ru- yeah, rudiments. Oh, I thought it's like the nutrient we got in the in the in the swamp. That's a yeah. rodent. And I, <laughs> that was a little confusion to me. I said, "What? I gotta play some little rats? What rat?" So he said, "Yeah, rodentacules." I said, "No, what? I don't. It's, it's, I don't understand it all." But anyway, I I was just practicing what they call the flam tap. Y'all know okay. the flam tap? You ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of it. So, listen, why don't you play some of that, Clarence, and see how much you've learned? Can okay, you look, I got to play to the music because, look, the music, man, and you put it on and you, it's, it's jamming. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to do little music like that. Hang okay. on. It's, I yeah. got up to, this is uh the flam tap number three. I got it all the way to tempo three on that, this one like that. <laughs> Check it out. Look, it's a lot of fun. Can you hear it? Yep. Okay, wait. I got it's on this other one, but that's too fancy. I don't know how to do that right now. So I'll just do it on here. You just bounce the sticks like that. Yeah. I think I I think I messed up. But he said, even if you mess up, you gotta keep going. <laughs> That's part of it. Look like that. You hear it? It's yep. jamming. It's a steel drums, like those things, like he plays. It's incredible. That drum pad sounds like a steel drum. Does it really? It's, yeah. not, it's wood. It's wood. So it's, it's steel wood. wood. <laughs> Y'all, excuse me for a second. I gotta take a break. Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah, been you keeping see, you busy you down there in the bayou, Clarence? Huh? What's been keeping you busy down there in the bayou? What you got? Man, I've been it? making practice pads. That's what I've been doing. That but crawfish season's coming up and the Mardi Gras is coming up. So, you know, we kick we cook the king cake sometimes, but we have a lot of crawfish. We're getting ready to eat a lot of crawfish. But uh yeah, that's that's what we're doing right now. It's time so, for the season. Let me ask you a question. Tony Shasheries or Zatarain? Tony Shasheries. Tony Shasheries. Yeah. Shasheries. Tony Shasheries. That's Tony the best. Shasheries. Yeah, like that. He's got to say it like that. Tony Shasheries. Tony Shasheries. <laughs> like like your season. I, I, I eat that stuff on everything. I put it on my eggs in the morning. I put it on my ham sandwich at lunch. I put it on my coffee shake buffet at dinner. Put it on everything. You put it on everything. I remember everything. when I was down there, I would make food, and I would think I was doing a pretty good job seasoning everything, but everybody that was over there would take out the Tony Sashries and dump it all on before they even taste it. Yeah, that's, a, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, I always got some. I always got a, a, a supply of the Tony Sa- and the Tabasco sauce, too. <laughs> that's from that's from where he the the Dr. Trodon he grew up right by the Tabasco place in New Iberia. That's where he grew up and you're playing drums over there by the Tabasco place. So I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. It's right there. He knew some of them uh when the Macal 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 Macahanies. That's it, yeah, that's it. Macahanies. <laughs> Man, I haven't had crawfish so in forever. What what question should we ask Dr. Trodan once we uh once on here? Oh, what questions do you want? Hey, to ask? I don't know, man. He reads books and stuff, so I don't know. I never know what to ask him. 
can uh, something about the the rodents and uh, he knows a lot about the rodents. He plays the the metal drums and stuff. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, man. He's he, I, we he, he just acts. We don't talk a lot, you know, cause, because he don't come down to the swamp very often. But uh, I just came up here to deliver some practice pads. He said some people want to talk to me today, so I had to come in here and talk to y'all. <laughs> so that's well, we're here. glad you did, man. Yeah. No, I ain't scared. No, I you know I ain't scared like that. I'm not scared of people. I'm not claustrophobic or nothing. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. Well, as fun as this is, I think uh, I think we're gonna have to let you go so we can. Uh... Oh, I, well, I gotta go. It's almost my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get out. But Doctor Trowdown, he's out. He he was out in the shed, so he, working on something. I can go get him if you want. Yeah, you you better go get him, Clarence. It's good go seeing you. Hey, good seeing you, Clarence. Like, we'll see you next time. Man, great to see you guys. It's great to meet you guys. And uh, I hope to see y'all sometime. Maybe if, he said he's going to take me to PASIC one day. Ah, and, nice. Well, there you go. He said that, but he said, you know, don't, he said, don't make me haunt, though. So I said, <laughs> okay, I'll try to behave a little bit. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> nice, Clarence. Someday. Okay, I'll go get him. Y'all, All y'all right, stay cool. right there. Yep, we'll stay right here. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, nice to see you, Clarence. Oh, it's good. Yeah, good to good to see y'all. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay. John Wooten, man, oh man. So when you Google John Wooten, you get a lot of hits. So I'm really not sure which John Wooten we're speaking with today. So John Wooten, you are you the John Wooten? who holds the records for being the world's strongest man? Are you a grandmaster in jujitsu? And do you have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Is that you? All the above, brother. Okay, so that is you. So then, are you the John Wooten who is currently a certified public accountant in Peoria, Illinois? Uh, I don't think anybody wants me to be their accountant. All right, so that's not you. So, are you the John Wooten who was convicted of murder in 1933 and sentenced to die in Old Sparky, where an electrical current will travel through your body until you are dead, sir? Is you John Wooten? So I could be related to that guy, I guess. Yeah. That's and I'm I'm not the hairdresser either. You're not the hairdresser either. So then you must be the John Wooten, who is the percussionist. Is that true? I beat on stuff, yeah. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about John Wooten, the percussionist. (laughs) John is an international artist and clinician for several percussion companies. His partnerships with Pearl Drums, Zildjian, Remo, and Vic Firth have helped percussionists all around the world. The genres of music he embraces are all over the place. He likes a blend of jazz and Caribbean styles, but his talents are so far-reaching. When he isn't flipping sticks and playing Rademacues around the globe, you can find him dressed in linen, playing at a casino 
on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, or he might be dressed in style playing at a jazz club in New Orleans. He's a rudimental specialist. You ought to check out his steel pan. You ought to check out everything about him. John Wooten is the real deal, and we're happy to be speaking with him today. John, how are you, man? Thanks for being here. Man, that's awesome. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Much cooler than I am. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's about as cool as you are. However, you left out the, the most important part, my basketball stats. Yes, I did see them. So what are you, like an 85% free throw shooter? I was. I yeah. was. However, I've been getting back in the gym and shooting a little bit, and it's dropped a little. Yeah. How tall are you? Are you Six tall feet. enough to be a basketball player? Anybody can play basketball. You don't have to be tall. I mean, look at Spud Webb. You That's know. right, Spud Webb. Think about I that. I can't jump like Spud Webb, but but I'm six feet tall. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I played high school basketball. I, yeah. Wow, so we're I, we're we're glad you're here. Like basketball playing or rudimental drumming doesn't matter to us, man. We want to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm really I'm I'm super honored because I've listened to most of the podcasts y'all put out and. Man, that some of my heroes that y'all interviewed uh, that that I listened to, I actually listened to some of them more than well one and a half times. Like Charlie Poole, yeah, I was super interested in that one, and Paul Cormier. Y'all pronounce that wrong the way down here. We say Cormier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could and be right. Then, of course, my brother Dominic Cuchia. That was your, that was the first one, wasn't it? That was yeah. the first one. He was the first yeah. one. He's a righteous dude, Dominic. Yeah. Yeah. So, He's, yeah. you know, he is a, I mean, you know, when this is all said and done, like in 50 years, you know, Dominic Cuccia would will be one of those guys that you look back on and say, wow, man, that guy was a drummer and he brought a lot to the table for yeah. sure. Yeah. And maybe the coolest one y'all did the hippest one, I, I hope I can come close to it, was Ralph Hardiman. Ah, oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was one laid-back interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. And we had no idea where it was going, too. So it was like, this is just, we're going to get on the Ralph ride. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it was funny about that one because like uh, at first like it kind of took us a while to to all warm up to uh, to, to each other, but we started going into some pretty pretty cool topics towards um, that second half of like you know talking about the the rudiments and stuff like that. I actually took some questions from that interview that I wanted to to, to broach with you as well. well. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the interview, but I'm I'm excited to to, to broach some of those subjects that, that we also did with Ralph. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great interview. I've known Ralph since 1980, so mm. it's a long time. Yeah, yeah, Ralph is one of my favorite people. That was uh, it was such yes. a cool interview. Yeah. But John, we're going to interview you today. Okay. So, you know, so much of your life's work is centered around music. So let's let's start with an easy one, maybe a two parter here. How did you start in music, and what is one of your earliest musical memories as a child? Um, well, I mean, I started, I just like to bang on stuff as a kid, maybe like a lot of other drummers, 
you know, the parents saw that, hey, he likes to hit on shit. So can I say, can I say that? Yes, you can. Yeah, that's all good. He likes to hit on shit. So, and I'm sure that's how my dad said it. And uh, we should probably get him some instruction. So, you know, my earliest, I remember, you know, hitting on all my mom's pots and pans. So she'd get me those uh, Quaker oatmeal boxes. And she goes, have at them. So, uh, you know, I'd make like bongos and I wanted to be Ricky Ricardo. Um, (laughs) So that was my earliest, you know, memory of hitting things. And then soon after that, they got me, they got me lessons at a very early age. I was seven. So, um, and and just happened to be, well, it was the band director, Mr. Hicks. He would, he taught me and he started me on the Haskahar book one. And uh, he got me as far as he could, which was probably a few months. And he said, okay, you, you're, we need to find you somebody else because you're now better than me. <laughs> and uh, so I studied with this guy, Louis Jewett, in Lafayette, Louisiana. That's so where I grew up in Lafayette, Lafayette, Louisiana, center of Acadiana, which is Cajun country. And... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Louis Jewett just happened to be a, an old rudimental jazz drummer who also made violins and cuckoo clocks. <laughs> yeah. And, really? Um, yeah, just a super eccentric dude and, uh, you know, super talented. He wrote, and I took vibraphone lessons from him too, not just snare drum. In fact, I own the vibraphone that I learned how to play on. His daughter called me just a few years ago and said, "Hey, we're selling all my dad's stuff." Wow! And 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 actually, they had played on that vibraphone since about two years. I started to take it. So since I was about ten years old, no one actually ever played on that vibraphone. So that would have been what 1972. Yeah. So I bought it. It's it's sitting behind my cameras right over there, and it's a beautiful 1967 Musser uh, Century Vibes. Wow. Beautiful. Sorry, that kind of took a left turn. But no, no, no. That's cool. That's cool. Quick quick, quick follow-up on that. Uh, so did you have other musicians in your family? Like, were you guys a musical family at all? Um, my, par- my parents aren't musical, but my dad is was a, um, com- uh, a writer, a novelist, a okay. poet. So you can, you can look him up. He's actually got several collections of poetry that are available. I got a funny story about that later, but um, well, why not? Why not now? Funny Do it story. now. So, so I'm in my office at, at Southern Miss. This was a long time ago, probably 20 years ago. I've been at Southern Miss now. This is my 31st year. And uh, this guy comes and he, he he emails me. He goes, "I need to. I want to know if I can interview for a class." I said, "Sure." You know, because people that happens all the time. Uh, um, so he comes in, sits down, he goes, can you tell me about your, your dad's poetry? I'm like, excuse me? What? <laughs> I said, I thought you might want to know how, like, how to play a Rademacue. I don't know. And he goes, no, you, he goes, I'm an I'm a, um, English major. And, and, and I'm into writing, and, I, and I'm, doing, I'm doing a dissertation on your father's poetry. And I go, man. I said, dude, I hate to, I, I was embarrassed at the same time as kind of shocked because I don't know any of my dad's poetry. I said, mm. man, I've never read it. I said, I, I've started to read it 
And it's like weird. It's some weird shit. I said, so, I said, I don't, I say, I hate to disappoint you, but I don't know any of my dad's poetry. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, think, but I said, think about it. You, do you want to do what your dad does? I just, I wasn't, I wasn't interested at the time. Later, after that, it kind of pushed me in the direction to read my dad's poetry. And so I've read a lot of it since then. What year, what year was that when you started, when it pushed you to read your dad's stuff? It was early in my career here. So probably like 25 years ago, maybe. Yeah. That and how did that how did that affect you when you read your dad's shit? It was shocking because then you go because some of it's 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 not it's not easy to read. It's poetry, but it's it's realistic poetry. So it's like I don't, I don't know if that's the correct term for it, but it's like real life stuff. He doesn't hold back. It's you know it's not all pretty. Sometimes it's pretty, but sometimes it's like. It was about, it could be about rape or incest or, you know, it's like, like real life stuff, poetry. Right. But, and, but and not, was you know, everybody thinks that? poetry's I mean, got to be flowery and, you know, romantic and stuff. No, it's, whew, sometimes so, it's. So his poetry real. was, it was pretty uh, graphic and real. In, it was intense. In, Wow, that's cool. That's super, cool. Does that match his personality at all? I mean, you know, is that something that, okay. that you knew So that's, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. So <laughs> there's one poem about this boy getting raped by, another, by a man, and it's, it's a short story. It's, mm. it's not really – he does a lot of short stories, and I'm going, oh, shit. How does – why would he write about this? Something that happened to him? Uh, so it's like, and then it's stuff you're scared to ask him. Right. But, but we did. We, we, yeah, I know. It's like. It's yeah, can I say something, John? You, you yeah. prefaced this by saying this was a funny story. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I this is not funny I, at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm a bit like my dad. We got a weird sense of humor. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, no, I, yeah, I understand Scott Jameson a little bit more now too. Ah, no, 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 oh my God, Scott Jameson! That's another story. Scott Jameson, his 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 sense of humor pisses me off. Yeah. You know, but, uh, I'm I'm also realizing that this is one of those interviews that we can take all our questions ah! and just burn them in the fire because that's not where we're gonna go. That's yeah, I'm sure all. this wasn't part of the part of the uh, script, was it? It wasn't, and I love it. I love yeah. that. I love that part about it. Yes, so, Scott I don't actually know told what... us that story um, of um, he was like, yeah, like. Like I was, I, I, I was doing a doing a class or something with a uh, with with Doctor Wooten, and um, and he just looked over at me and said, "Scott, your sense of humor really pisses me off." <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happened. Yeah. That's how it happened. We were in percussion ensemble rehearsal, and he, and you know it's in it's in percussion ensemble rehearsal. You know, it's like we're getting we're getting things down, getting notes right, and it's intense. And everybody's, you know, those that aren't prepared or scared, you know, and all that sort of thing. I'm sure y'all know that feeling. Oh, yeah. Um, and so he's in rehearsal and he cracks a joke, but it's not it's not really funny. 
I mean, some of the it's more sarcasm than anything. I can't remember what it what, but y'all, you guys know Scott, so you know oh, what yeah. I mean. <laughs> super dry, super dry, super sarcastic, and he says it, and us go, Scott, your sense of humor really pisses me off. <laughs> and at that time, at that time, the 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 room erupted. Like everybody thought that was just the f- hilarious because it's true. I mean, it's you know, so and it's kind of it's become this legendary story at Southern Miss. You know, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's so good. So uh, you have been uh, for reason and through all of your endeavors and stuff, you've been considered to be an ambassador of rudimental drumming. So, uh, do you think that's true, number one? And if it is true, who influenced you to actually get to that place? Man, that's, I don't know about all that. I just do what I like to do. I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy playing rudiments. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I live in, I live in a several different worlds. So, when I step into the rudimental world, you know, this is okay. Yeah. You know, but when I get into the orchestral world or the jazz world, it's like, you're a meathead. You know, so it's, it's, um, and I mean that uh, just, you know, and as a general term kind of idea. But I, I don't know. I never planned on that. I never, I never uh, aspired to be, you know, that or I think several things happened you know that as far as rudimental uh, notoriety came about and I'd say one of the biggest ones was that Mark Wessels trusted me enough to do those big first uh, rudiment videos mm. that's when YouTube was taken off and and then all of a sudden people from around the world were watching my videos and, and that was weird because I'd go to places and everybody goes Sean Wooten and I go who are you and how the hell do you know who I am? Right. You because know, I'm just a regular dude. So, um, that's, I think that was a big part of it. But, you know, but I've realized that I've, I've become pretty good at, 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 at teaching, you know, teaching rudiments and, or whatever, teaching music, really. It's not limited. Um, and one reason is, I think, because I just love doing it. And I don't, I don't, and I don't care what other people think. I think that's a big part of it, really. I don't care. I don't care what other people think. I love doing what I do. I just put out a video yesterday. I was um, playing steel pans and singing a calypso, and I stuck it on Facebook. And, you know. But I, but that's what I do at night. I'll, I'll, I play either on my piano or uh, pans and sing. And uh, I usually don't do do this at night we can do that this during the day or in the morning um i'm pointing at the practice pad i realized on the video you can't no good you can't yeah we get it i'm pra- pointing at this loyal practice pad right here <laughs> yeah. so um yeah i just love doing it so i think that's a big thing you know is is you just do what you love to do and everything kind of works out as as it will, you know. And then I, I just, I love hanging out with with uh, all my rudimental buddies. 
you know? We just we just did the surge thing a couple few months ago. That was freaking awesome. Yeah. Was yeah that was that was so much fun. Yeah. Not just the I mean the hanging out, remember that bar Brandon that, that we went to oh, yeah. yeah and then and then basic Pasic recently. Pasic, yeah, the the, uh, and I wish I could be like ten places at one time because there's like a rudimental jam at the same time. You know, uh, Henry Cole's playing down in the lobby, and I don't want to miss that. And then you've got friends hanging out at the bar. You want to go have a drink with them. It's it's so much stuff going on at Pasic, and I and I can be, and I belong to all those people. You know, I feel like and that and. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel guilty I'm not in one place, but then, man, I, I want my cake and I want to eat it. <laughs> I don't understand that term where you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> Why the hell would you have a cake can't eat it? <laughs> and mine's going to be a king cake. And you're going to get the baby. baby inside. You're going to get the baby. <laughs> yeah. So, John, you just mentioned that that you're at a point where you don't really care about, you know, what people think about what you do. And and, you know, you just you, you got to that point in your in your career where you just don't care. Was it always like that or was there like a no, a, no. So no, how did you get there? I think just getting old. OK, I'm 60. I'm 60 years old. I just turned 60. So I think at that at some point you just say, I don't give a shit. I just I just like doing what I like to do. And I don't have to live by other people's standards. And I mean, by now, if I don't have it together and know what I need to do, I don't know if you can show me. Yeah, well, you know, like, and, and, like it takes so much of the sterility out of out of it too. You know, I mean, like, like a lot of people do the same thing over and over and over again. But you got to make it fun. And and as we were talking about Dom Dom Kachia, you got to make it sexy. That's what he always says. You know, and yeah, make it sexy. Like that, you know, or, or or get weird. Just make it yours, you know. And that's yeah. that's. But when we were talking about some of the the, the questions um, that that we were as we were kind of framing out this this interview, um, we were talking about that um, uh, Brian's ambassador question, and Brendan brought up the point that like you know a lot of people who are not in fife and drum or any of these rudimental um, styles that are playing some of the older pieces they'll know things like Connecticut halftime and, and, uh, and downfall of Paris. And a lot of that is because of you. Like they, they know it because you played it because, because you, yeah. there are videos of you playing it and, you know, and that's how, that's how a lot of this stuff has kind of come through. Yeah. And, 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 and I apologize for that. It's okay. Yeah. I, I was, I was hoping you would. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. I apologize for that because I know some of those, you know, as I was making a lot of those videos, you know, the Connecticut halftime and downfall of Paris, you know, I'm just going by what I know. And I live, I live in Mississippi. I'm from Louisiana. I'm not from Connecticut. So I know there's a lot of guys out there who probably know better than I do, but, uh, um, you know, I, I was taught by Marty Hurley, so I was, I was confident of what I do and what I know, but definitely there's going to be difference of opinions, you know, so, uh, so for that, I apologize if it's not, you know, 
I, I never looked at it like that. I, I always looked at it as that was like the, the Southern way of playing that particular piece. That was the Marty Hurley style. Because where I'm from, I, I don't know much about Marty Hurley except for you and, and Jeff Prospery and, and you know, the, the father uh, – was it uh, Brother Ryan? Am I saying that right? Brother Martin. Brother Martin, sorry. I'm getting Father Ryan and Brother Martin confused. Yeah. But but just just that New Orleans style of, of rudimental drumming, I know you know of that lineage. So when right. I hear you play something like Connected Halftime, I think that that's just the way that it's played down yeah, there. So, yeah, it, it is. And I don't know if you've seen any of the videos I've done with like Stanton Moore. Um, yeah, they're incredible. Some things yeah. and we do some grooves, put some put some grooves on it, or I we actually last last he has this. Uh, workshop sono sounds of new orleans and and i teach at it every year and we do we always do a performance and a clinic and i forget what we played we played one of one of marty's street beats and i think we did a uh ancient solo i can't remember anyway it's, it's on youtube if you look up john wooden and stan moore um but uh yeah it got funky i mean it started getting but the, you know that's that's how second line music started was from military music and then um, on the street and then mixed with African music and and some funky sounds and right. that's, that's how it all got going. Can you actually talk a little bit about uh, about working with Marty um, and the impact that he that he had on on your path? Oh my God! I know it's a big subject, but. Uh, you know, who well, we I, I, mean, I, owe, I mean, I owe him everything, you know. Yeah. Um, let me tell you about my first lesson with Marty. So I come in, I, I got a um, jazz scholarship for at southeastern Louisiana, in Hammond, Louisiana. It's right north of Lake Pontchartrain. And uh, the, the, the director was Ron Nethercutt, who I still keep in touch with. He lives in the Philippines now. Great trombone player. And uh, he he wanted he recruited me to come play. And so I want to play drum sets, you know. But also was into the rudimental stuff because I, I had already marched one year with the Imperial Guard Drum and Bugle Corps from Evansville, Indiana. You know, that's how that's where I, that was my first year marching was with Richard McClendon. And uh, but they the guy that was teaching us at the time uh, is Mark Richard was teaching us. But they were they were all into the wrist wrist motion stuff, the, you know, kind of a, call it dumbed down kind of stuff for young, for young drum corps at the time. Now a lot of people are doing it. But anyway, uh, he's, I was into it and I was playing rudimental stuff, but there was nobody there to teach me anymore. He goes, I got the guy you need to study with. He goes, he's across the lake. So he actually took me to my first lesson across Lake Pontchartrain. And, um, so I went to my lesson at Brother Martin High School with Marty. I remember going to the band hall. And, and of course, I tell everybody, I, I don't remember much of what Marty said, but when he hit the drum, it was unforgettable. Man, it was just, wow. So so he had me, he had this old, the, the old iPhones, remember the reel-to-reel? He had the reel-to-reel recorder, and he recorded me. He said, play some flam paradiddles for me. So I got, and I played them. They probably sound something like this. You know, with the 
few pop flams like that. That's hard to do. That's painful, actually. But anyway, he played it back for me at half the speed, and it was like, pop, da, 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 pop, da, 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 ba, dum, ba, da, da, pra, pa, just magnified, and I was horrified. I was just totally horrified. I go, oh, my God, I suck. And uh, <laughs> then he played him. She goes, here, I'll play him. And it played him something like this. And then he played it back, half speed, and every flam sounded exactly the same spacing. The 16 notes were perfectly even. Like that. And I went, oh my God. And he played with so much power. Just, wow. It was just, Jesus. It was, it was amazing. Fluid and powerful at the same time. And then he told me, he goes, Gave me a few pointers and said, okay, because I want your flam paradise to sound like that in two weeks or don't come back. Wow. You ever think that maybe he just had a couple of recordings that he played for every student? <laughs> no, he actually played it. He actually played it and then and then played it back. You know, I saw That's him awesome. Play it. That's such a cool story. So, of course, I came back and I could play him, and we had a long, long relationship after that. As First as teacher, student, then as business partners, and then as my kids call him Uncle Marty. Wow, that's so cool. He was family. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your background with, with DCI, because I, I know you, you marched in Phantom Regiment, correct? Yes, for four and, years. And then you went on to teach there. So That's maybe correct. you can tell us a little bit about your experience with DCI, but, but I'd love to hear you know how you feel about DCI. What's your relationship with DCI now? I don't have one. Um, and not because I don't want one. It's just I just don't have the time or and maybe maybe. Well, I've got this impression a long time ago that he's old school. Well, we're, we, we don't want that stuff. Right. You know, so it was right, OK, whatever. I got lots to do. It's not like I'm short on anything to do. Now I love the DCI. I'm, my the eight in the 1980s. I was I was DCI. I mean it was all DCI. So I marched for five years, four years with Phantom Regiment, uh, three years as a, as a drumline section leader. You know, did individuals and all that stuff, and um, you know then PASIC. We did you know uh, indoor drumline with at North Texas and USL. Won, we won five titles that I'm drum lines that I marched in the PASIC title, and then um, after that, Phantom Regiment had a couple of years. I, I used to call them the dark years, '86 and '80, no '85 and '86. They had a pretty poor core director at that time, and um, and they didn't do so well. I mean. I mean, they had some nice things, but it's just they just didn't do so well. They didn't compete so well. And so in '87, they they said, "Man, we got we got to get it back." So they called Marty and asked him to be the designer, and he said yes, but only if I can 
get John Wooten to come be the caption head. And he said, of course. So I got to thank him for that. He was the one that got me back into that and then, and then asked me to write the drum solo that year. So that year I wrote the drum solo in 87, and then in 88 I wrote half the show. Uh, and then in 89 I wrote almost the entire show. Uh, you know, and a lot of people think that was Marty Hurley that wrote the show, but I, I, I get excited when someone comes, you know, says, would come up to Marty and say, man, I love your writing this year. I'm going, whoa, they think Marty wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get a better compliment, you know, yeah, yeah. so it was awesome. Um, yeah, but then we, then that was it. I, you know, I got married too, too early. I got, actually, I was married my last year marching corps, which boys and girls, don't do that. Don't. Just don't. Wait. And then, of course, I, then at that time, I, we, we had a son, Drew, my son, Drew, y'all, y'all, I think y'all know him. Um, you know, and I was just, I was missing everything in the summers because we're on tour and I'm missing all this stuff. And I said, I just, I can't miss anymore. So that was it for drum corps. Well, I shouldn't say that. I was, I was teaching at the University of Iowa at the time as a athletic band director. And then I also taught the Cedar Rapids Corps, Emerald Knights. They were called the Night Express at that time. And get this, at that time, that year, is it 91? I wrote the whole show, like front ensemble, horns battery the whole show i love that that i said man i love this composition i love doing this this is awesome doing the whole thing and i always and i always thought and that show really i mean we didn't have the most talented you know or mature core members it was a young young group but the whole show just worked really well and i always thought that man if you get somebody to write all the parts Sometimes I, I just feel like I'm listening to this drum line and a front ensemble and a horn line, and like they got nothing to do with each other. Not all the right. time, but sometimes, you know. Yeah. So uh, does Jacqueline think uh, you got married too early? Be careful how you answer this. Oh, she got married too early, too. <laughs> which is okay. a good, it's one reason we're together. Because. <laughs> That, that shit didn't work out, so, you know, we both got divorced, and then we found each other. So, oh, yeah. good. Okay, got it. All right, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So now, you did a lot of teaching uh, in Argentina and elsewhere in Latin America. How did that come about? How, what, was the, what was the genesis of that in Latin America? Well, YouTube. What we mentioned earlier, those YouTube videos, and on Vic Firth, Vic Firth, and, um, well, let me, let me start, how did that happen? It's, it's a snowball effect, you know, you know that, that thing, uh, out of sight, out of mind? Yeah. That's very true, because, man, sometimes all you gotta do is show up. If you show up, you, you get all, you get other things. You, you make connections, you, and you, things start to happen. Yep. So show up, you know, so that's what I tell everybody, man, if, you, if you're thinking about, I don't know if I should go to PASIC this year, man, I don't know, it's expensive, it's cold, I don't know, 
and show up. Right, you don't have the time. There's a lot of reasons you can say, I'm not going to go to PASIC or I'm not going to go to USARD or I'm not going to go to that. There's a lot of reasons, but you just have to go, right? Yes, you got to show up. So anyway, I, I think I did this. I did a few clinics and then PASIC. Uh, I got invited to a festival, I think it was at PASIC, in Brazil. So I went down to Brazil in Campinas, right near Sao Paulo. And at that, at that, at these festivals, you know, you meet a whole bunch of other people who actually run festivals in their country. So there are guys there from Argentina, Angel Frete, I think. Actually, I was introduced to Angel Frete by uh, Ney Rosaro. And... Um, that may have happened to page something. And now, right, right, you know, sometimes I have re- I have a, a hard time remembering where the connections were made, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many people. But yeah, but just by playing at one festival, you get asked to others, and you do others, and people hear about you, and they and they realize, oh, this guy's not untouchable. We can actually have him here, and you know, because that's the way it is sometimes when you see somebody on a screen. Or in a recording, you think, "Oh man, there's no way we can get him here. He's he's on he's on YouTube. He's a you know he does a record. He's on these records. It's just like this unimaginable kind of thing." But so it's just that getting out and and showing people, and I would say a big part of that is not being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Really. So true. It really is. It really is. When you show up someplace and you go, man, I'm tired. God damn, this place is cold. Got anything to eat around here? God, I can't. I mean, what? We got to drive? Shit. I said, what? Come on, man. <laughs> you know, if you start complaining, they're going, yeah, this guy's a pain in the ass. Yeah. No, it's like, I make it a point. And I'm actually, I don't really have to try at all. It's just natural. But I've seen people burn their bridges. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I've seen right from the start. All of us have. Right from the start, they burn right. their bridges, and I'm going, damn. Nobody wants to hang out with this dude, <laughs> even if he is this famous guy, you know. Right. So, I'm I'm very well aware of that, and if I am tired and I could be bitchy, maybe maybe it's possible. I just make it a point to smile and go, man, it's so good to see y'all. But. But, but that's not false either. It really is. I really enjoy traveling and seeing old friends or meeting new friends. and That's a, a wonderful thing that I've been able to do is just meet a lot of people and eat a lot of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink that, a lot that's of one of the cool things is the, the, the cuisine comes along with the culture. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. That's why Jacqueline always comes with me. She. <laughs> Yeah. The paella in South Spain, Southern Spain. Oh my God! Let me tell you. Um, so, I, that might actually play into not not the paella, but the um, some of the the Argentinian and then um, kind of Latin American ones might play into this next question that I have. But um, so your your approach to using uh, rhythm tracks, um, instead of metronomes, uh, kind of take the vanilla out of drum practice. Um, like, how did you come up with your approach to technique and mindful practice? And do you have any secret sauce with that stuff? Man, well, first of all, I was listening to Russell Piner's interview this week. And, uh, man, he talks fast. 
Yeah. In a short spurt. He talked like this. And then, and yeah. Then, and, and, <laughs> I can't even imitate it. But I must I said, I, I, and you know, usually I, when I listen to podcasts, I put it on one and a half or one and three quarter speeds just so I can get through it, you know. Um, but with him, I had to go back, I had to like slow it down. And I know <laughs> Russell, I mean, I'm, it's just he talks so fast. But then he, he takes a break. And then it's like, and then, and, then, and then we play for the Queen. And then, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. And you know what? And he was such a good interview, and he was uh, he was so insightful on so many levels that we didn't know anything about, and it yeah, was so much Eddie's fun. Such a nice dude. Yeah, you know, he's a righteous dude. There. That's what I'm talking about. Meeting people like that. That's yeah, just, man. What was the question? Oh, no. It was about the uh, rhythm tracks. Um, oh, the rhythm track. Okay, so, so the reason I brought up that interview is I'm listening to it, and I hear Brandon bring up my book. I said, what? He brought up my book. Yo! <laughs> Man! I just made a sale. So. <laughs> well, that's because be, I've been looking for that commission check any day now. I keep trying to put the seller reminders. I, so, I mean, I, so, so I use that book it. more than anything. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. See, that's, I, I love that. Brandon, you make my day. My night, but you. So Brandon said, "Yeah, I use John Wooten's book, and then man, it's like it cha- it's a game changer. It's like going on and on." He goes, "But you know, we get to something, and then I might disagree with the interpretation." I'm going, "What, motherfucker? What?" So when you disagree with my interpretation, so I got pissed <laughs> off. So I went from being excited to pissed off. No, I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I wasn't pissed off at all. That's the whole thing, is what I tell everybody. I said you can interpret these things so many ways. Right. It's just when I record it, I can only do it one way. So now you can decide what you want to do. I think that's mentioned in the book, you know, the front front part of it. I've but never it, read that. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's too many words in that beginning. <laughs> too many words. I had like words. I had to read. <laughs> so, so to answer your question, David, um, I think at some point I just gave up. I gave up. I said, you know what? We got to do something where I can keep these usually kids' attention. I, I just said, you know, it, we can't just say go to your room and practice Rademacues anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be something that they enjoy doing. So I always say I wrote this book for the PlayStation generation. So it's fun. It's like a video game. It's challenging. You have levels. You have different speeds. You know, so you have all this stuff that, you know, you find in a video game, I guess. And it's just a lot of fun to do. So um, that, and I think with my students on every level, on every instrument, I try to take the same approach where we, we don't practice. We just jam. You know, so when I tell them to go to school and... And that's not saying that you, you shouldn't practice. Um, you should. And there needs to be that individual time where you hone on, on certain skills and stuff. But the more you play together with somebody, you know, music's a communal. It's a communal activity. I, I'm not sure that music was ever meant to be done by oneself, like in a practice room all by yourself. I believe it was invented to communicate. It's a language. You know, it's invented, it was created so that we could, you know, play with each other, speak to each other, listen. The audience, you know, when I play 
concerts and stuff, the audience is just as important as the other players in the in the group. You know, I, I really, really feel that. It's not just cliche. Um, I can think of lots of concerts now. And, and when the audience don't participate, it's it's a real drag. It's now work. And I had a gig yeah. like that just the other day at a restaurant. You know, and it's just, I'm, I'm playing stuff and... And it's really bizarre because Jacqueline's there. She goes, isn't it funny how you can play right here in your own backyard and nobody gives a shit. And you can play the same exact thing over in Poland and you can get, you know, 500 people to give you a standing ovation. Right. <laughs> well, you know, like um, to, to your, your, your uh, talking about like the, the communal uh, language kind of stuff um, versus, versus practice. Yeah. Like I find that, that really interesting because um, – um, yeah, it certainly is. And, and, and there, there are kind of two different, um, I mean, there's probably many more, but there's two different kind of approaches that I take when I pick up sticks and it's either I'm working on something and I'm doing a lot of work on it to, to like the mindful practice of like, okay, this is what I'm working on. I'm not working on anything else. I'm, I'm focusing on this versus I'm picking up the sticks and I'm playing music. And I'm either having a good time or playing with other people and, and stuff like that, you know. But there's kind of like two different sides of, of that, um, which I, I've always yeah. found kind of interesting. It is. And I think you need both. And I think, you know, we grew up at a time, I was listening to that, that interview, I think, Brandon, you hit on this about having to slow things down, you know, break rudiments down and stuff. And, and like kids today, it's, it's hard to teach them that sort of, that sort of discipline. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's kids today, really. I think when I think back, I hated breaking down rudiments. I really didn't. I didn't really embrace it until I until I was like nineteen or twenty years old. Before that, it was a it was a pain in the ass. I didn't. I didn't want to do it. But um, so I because I think that that is an advanced technique to actually speed up and slow down. So um, I don't know whether we're any different it's just there's different they just a lot more distractions than we had i i so agree with that you know when we've talked about that on this podcast several times about uh the patience that it takes to break down rudiments and i'm i'm a bass drummer i don't i don't play snare and you know when but when you're a, a young bass drummer and you have to break down a paradiddle or a flamicue, it's even more monotonous because it's it's there is so little that you have to do when you're working into the breakdown, you know? And it's it's it would drive me crazy, but I believe it was a very integral part of my learning every rudiment, even a paradiddle or a ratamacue or a flamicue. Um, but it's, I I don't think kids now have the patience or the time or the wherewithal to maybe do that. And I might be wrong on that. Uh, but what do you think? Can they still do it? Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know, you have to decide, uh, it depends on what world you're in. Again, like I said, I have my feet in several worlds of, of music. And, you know, one, I mean, I teach at a university. So, 
we teach everything. I mean, I teach fundamentals of the keyboards. We're, we're, you know, we're playing marimba, vibraphones, not just fundamentals, but advanced stuff. And, I mean, the rudimental stuff is part of my curriculum. But then they are, they're on drum set. As soon as they get past snare drum one, mm. at a certain level, they, get, they go on to drum set. I, everybody, all the orchestral students, everybody. We have Latin percussion proficiencies, drum set proficiencies. And, snare, and actually, snare drum, there's only two levels of proficiencies. I mean, they're, but you have to know all your rudiments. You have to get through my entire book by, at level five. You have a certain number of Wilcoxon solos to do, uh, some Pratt solos, and then uh, Deli Clues, Vic Firth book, uh, Cerrone. That's all in two levels of snare drum. It's a lot of stuff. But um, but then but then then we have to get into a lot of other things, you know, because these guys are going to be either working musicians or band directors, or, you know. So they need. There's a lot of information. It's not fair that we have to learn all this stuff as as percussionists. You know, I always say this. The thing about playing percussion is, man, we got so many things to learn. Yeah. But the thing about playing percussion is we got so many things to learn. <laughs> right, right. So there's the other side of the coin, right? That's the other side of the coin. That's the way I see it. Yeah. I love doing what I'm doing. And no, maybe I, maybe I won't be great at any one. I mean, I do focus in certain areas, obviously rudimental drumming. And, and now, I mean, uh, steel pans. But uh, I still, you know, I play a lot of marimba and vibraphone still. Uh, yeah, but not as much, not nearly as much, because I don't so, get called to do that sort of thing. So I, I get that. So, so how do you take uh, your knowledge of rudimental drumming, and how do you take that to your other instruments? So, okay. like off That's of a, that, off of that particular pad, off of those drums, mm-hmm. off of the other stuff that I'm looking at here. How do you take that to steel pan and everything else you do? That's a great question, and I didn't really finish my other thought in that, you know, in that breaking down stuff. We'll do that, and I'll have everyone, of course, everyone needs to know how to break down a roll and a flam parrot, if nothing else. You know, I right. think those are two most So important. which two? So uh, a, a roll and a flam paradiddle? Yeah, a long that- roll and a flam paradiddle. So when they get there, they're ready to move on. Uh, and, among, and a lot of other things. And then, of course, some of them are know all their rudiments and, and then everything else. A lot of them are in drum corps or indoor drum lines, so they, they're, they're advanced snare drummers, rudimental snare. But then I get the, the marimba player, you know. I want to play marimba. I just want to play marimba. So, well, you got to pass the, the snare drum proficiencies. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain level they have to get to, and they quickly realize, at first, none of them believe me, that this pad and these sticks are going to help their marimba playing. They never mm-hmm. believed me at first. At the end, they all believed me because it makes them a much better musician. So, you know, marimba players who typically play, you know, piston strokes and everything's one volume and it's real monodynamic and, and kind of boring, you know, now they learn how to use a control stroke and upstroke and they can apply that to their marimba playing or vibraphone playing and all of a sudden, they can create phrases with this technique, and they now they have all this new technique at their disposal, 
and they're much better musicians. So, yeah, that's that's how that comes into play. And I'm talking, and not just marimba players, Latin percussion players, you know, on on congas. And I've had so many discussions with uh, great Latin percussionists like Giovanni Hidalgo. He did two years ago did a great clinic at PASIC on rudiments. His whole clinic was on rudiments. I mean, snare drum rudiments on mm. the congas. Yeah. And playing flams yeah. and five-stroke rolls, and it was amazing. I was like, I, I was smiling the whole time. I said, this is so cool. I went up to him afterwards, and I guess he knew who I was, probably from YouTube. Actually, I met him a couple of times. We'd done a couple of clinics together in Puerto Rico. What's crazy is one way when I met my wife, Jacqueline, one thing we had in common was she knows Giovanni's dad, like mm. personally. Mm. Wow. From, he's Puerto Rican. He's so that she's, she's known, you know, so that was that. And she knew what a girl was and she knew what pants were. She even kept calling the right name and everything. So, wow. So you were meant to be together, oh, man. And, and then the, our first date, we went walking along Lake Pontchartrain in Mandeville, and I yeah. turned on some salsa music, and we started dancing salsa, and she goes, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, a gringo that can salsa dance? What is going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Wait, I love so it. so uh, I have a question. that This is kind of the meat and potatoes for me um, of some of the – some of the stuff that you and I have talked about before, and we've already kind of brushed into it a little bit. But uh, so rudiments, I've got a lot of opinions, and I know you do too. Um, so let's let's chat about rudiments and their use in modern drumming, DCI, fife and drum, and other ensembles. Is there a need for rudiments in modern drumming? And do you think that the same part can be um, achieved by notating ups, downstrokes, and things like that, just getting the part and grace notes and, and just getting the parts out that way in the modern context. What are your thoughts? Hey, that's a deep question, man. I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear you answer. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you say. Rudiments. Well, first of all, what is a what is rudimental mean? It means fundamental, the most basic thing, right? So I've actually done a video it's on Drumeo. I th did one, I think it's called the real rudiments. And what I mean by that is the real rudiments. In other words, the most rudimentary, rudimentary is that, did I say that right? Thing that we do is just the strokes, right? Mm -hmm. So you have taps, which are followed by a tap. It's defined by what, you guys know this, but then you have an upstroke. Some people call it the molar stroke. I call it common sense. I, I call it, or the whap, the whap stroke. Whap! called the whap stroke. And then the control stroke, down, or down stroke, and then a rebound stroke. And then a buzz. And in my opinion, you can play all your rudiments with, with those five strokes. Pretty much every stroke you play is defined by one of those. So to me, that's the rudiments of drumming. And then you can have a list of things that patterns. Now these rudiments that we have are patterns that have been played over the years so much that we gave them names. But what if a paradiddle, I, to me, a more practical sticking instead of paradiddle would be a diddle pair. A diddle pair, a diddle pair, a diddle pair, a diddle pair. To 
me, especially on drum set, and that's a much more functional sticking. So um, you could come up with a whole new list if you wanted to. I mean, some of them, I don't know, like a flam. I don't know how you're going to get away from flam's a flam. But you could probably come up with some other patterns, give them a name, which we, a lot of them we call hybrids. You know, hertas. That's not a rudiment, but everybody knows what a herta is. We could we could put it on the list. Let's put let's get a let's get a committee together and add it to the list, or let's make a new list, and that's our rudiments. That's basically what happens. So why can't it, we can't just do that ourselves? Right. You know, we had a committee put together, PASIC, and they said, okay, we're going to take the thirteen essential, the twenty six standard. We're going to add all these to it. Now we got the forty PAS rudiments. It's just a list. It's 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 just and and. And some of these rudiments on the list are hybrids. I mean, a flam paradiddle is a hybrid. So it's just, it's just, it's semantics for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I take it with a grain of salt, you know, so uh, all that. Oh, well, we, we get that all the time in Fife and Drum. You know, whatever, you know, uh, wherever they came from, whatever they've done, that's the way to do it. Right. And so there, there's not a lot of, of, of giving to that. It just this is the way it is. This is the way that we've done it. This is the way that our group did it 200 years ago. And that to us is the way to do it. But it's just not true. No, there's it's so many ways to do it. I remember Marty actually telling me, well, that's not how you that's not how you play it. And, I was, and even at the time I went, but that's how I want to play it. You know, that's and I've heard other people play it that way. So he goes, yeah, but that's not it. He was he was real, you know, strict with the. It was great having him in New Orleans. So you had this real strict, you know, military guy, Bobby Thompson student, made you tuck your pinky back. Everything was really, you know, defined as what you had to do. And then you're in New Orleans where anything goes. You know, yeah. And there was there. Over the years, there has been kind of a marriage between that. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of rudimental, great or good rudimental drumming in New Orleans before Marty got there. There was some. There were there were even drum corps. I mean, he was even brought there to teach the Blue Blue Raiders drum bugle. And uh, but before that, there wasn't a lot of great rudimental drumming. And then all of a sudden, he started teaching a lot of people. And as you know. Uh, there's a lot of great drums that come have come out of Louisiana and Mississippi. And it's, it's all because of him. Yeah. Right, right. So I have I have one final question before we wrap up, and this is kind of weird um, because I've been creeping your Facebook page for <laughs> quite a while, and there's two things I'm super interested in that you apparently are interested in, and I am also interested in and they are they are completely opposite from each other one is auschwitz and the other is cat rescue right so i thought you i thought you were gonna say the duck gumbo okay (laughs) the what the duck gumbo oh no no there recently no 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 no, can you combine but, all three of those into one right, story? You can combine all three of those <laughs> and talk to us about them. They would be great. So, so, but, but let me, let me. So, I saw a video that you posted where you were, um, you were so passionate about getting these cats 
rescued and put into homes that were great. And uh, it was it was moving to me. It was it was really cool. And I'm actually in the market for a cat myself right now because I let me, I let me say cat. something. This is the one thing that Brian talked about the most in our production meeting. He it could not was. stop it talking really about the cats. Did you guys see this cat? David <laughs> and I are like, what the hell? I mean, he looks so perfect. You're like all over the place. And they're so cute. And then he, and then he asked the Auschwitz question, and we were both not ready for it. And we're like, what are you talking about? What do cats and, and Auschwitz have to do with each other? That's <laughs> right. It has, they have nothing to do with each other. Things. But well, so tell okay. me about either one of those. I don't care which one, but I'm interested in both. Oh, well, I can't talk about Auschwitz without getting emotional and bawling. So, I mean, I can just say, I'll say this, that when you go there, you realize you, you, you're in hollow ground. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, um, it's really, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine. And when mm. you see, and when you imagine what happened in that place and you're standing there where all this happened, it's really tough. Mm. Um, it's really, really hard. And I think every human being on the planet should visit Auschwitz. So you, you, you can be aware of that and, and, and see that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it'll change you. I mean, I think it'll change you. It'll change, you know, how, it'll change how you feel about, uh, dare I say, politics. You know, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll change. It'll change how you feel about, you know, a lot of movements. And I don't know. It did me anyway. But I yeah. think it's just, you know, it's on to realize that that kind of evil in the world actually exists. You know, and we need to be aware of it so we can squelch it when when possible. Yeah. And be sympathetic to it as well. Yeah. You know. So there, there's yeah. that. Go to Auschwitz, visit it, walk around. And I'd say do your research. Anytime you travel, what we do all the time whenever we travel, which we travel a lot. Jacqueline comes with me. Sometimes I do the research. Sometimes she does. Sometimes we do it together. We'll watch movies. We just try to do the research as we can about the place we're going so we can appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's true about anything. If you don't understand something, you can't appreciate it. The more you understand something, the more you can appreciate it. And that's so that's what we do. So there's there's that. Yeah. Cats. <laughs> um, when when I was young, I really I really had three choices. I tell people two, but it's really three. I was either going to be a veterinarian, a professional baseball player, or a drummer. I love animals. I just love animals. I always have dogs cats anything i mean horses i used to work on horses a lot um i I worked for a vet for a while um so i I love animals i just so the cats that what happened was we took in this stray cat we actually had a cat that passed away and then like two weeks later this stray cat shows up at our door and is like rubbing on my legs and stuff i'm going oh my god i said jacqueline look at this Kind of, I think I think he owns us or she owns us now. It's a, it's a little girl, <laughs> so so we let her in and she was she as a little kitten. It's just a little bitty kitten. It's like oh my gosh. So and then she got out. 
She found her way out somehow and was gone for three days. And she came back. I said, oh, she's back. So we took her back in, and she was pregnant. I didn't, so we didn't think she was even old enough to be pregnant. But she got pregnant. She had five kittens. We were actually in Spain, I think, Jacqueline and I, when the kittens were born. I had a student here uh, uh, watching them. And then one of them passed away, didn't make it, but the other four did. And that's the videos you saw with those four kittens. And then we were just trying to get people to uh, adopt the kittens. So I made some videos, you know. And uh, I guess it shows me in a different light, I would, you know. Yeah. I think what Brian's trying to say is that that he really wants one of those kittens. Well, they've all (laughs) been adopted. Yeah, that's too late now. But I will tell you, that was a beautiful video. And I was like, holy shit. John Wooten is like this freaking crazy cat lover that I I didn't know that about you, John. Well, you know, I'll tell you this. You know, uh, especially the old drum corps guys, they think I'm some hard-nosed. They used to call me Mad Dog because, you know, I was just intense, you know. I wanted to win. I, I liked, you know, I was just intense. I loved it when Marty Hurley gave me a challenge. I, I, I reacted. So, you know, the first, I think that's one thing Marty could do is you could read somebody. And if he knew somebody could take it, man, he'd dish it out. And he dished it out to me. Sometimes I didn't think it was fair. I said, well, you're being easier on that guy. He goes, yeah, because he can't take it. So it's that kind of thing. But I, I love that. But I got a sensitive side. And, you know, I love animals. I love to joke around. I love humor. I mean, I'm telling jokes all the time. Sometimes I say things politically incorrect and I get in trouble. But um, it's but my students all know that it's all, you know, from the heart. And it's uh, and I don't mean anything bad or anything. So, yeah, uh, hopefully speaking of my students, can I can I say this? Yeah, one of the things I'm most proud of. No. In my career, if I talk about my career, the thing I am most proud of is not a single accomplishment I have made, but what my students have done. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good ones. So shout out to all of them. They, they really, man, I, 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 I can't say enough. And I almost, had, I almost hate to say any names because I'm going to leave some out, but they know mm-hmm. who they are. And, uh, man, we... Just had at PASIC, we had the Southern Miss dinner hang, and it was the biggest ever. And the seven of them, or more, we had our percussion ensemble and several others presented at um, at PASIC, including the old guard, which I got how many? Four? Four former students that have been in the old guard now, I think. Is that yeah, right? Some, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And I um, see. I hate to say that because I, somebody's going to call. They're going to call me up. Said you forgot it's five or I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. But we. Just, I just had one. He just. He just won the audition for the Hellcats, and um, so yeah. We mentioned. We mentioned Scott, and so Jack Bounds is in the in the Hellcats, and then y'all y'all know all, all these guys. And, uh, oh yeah. David Vernon. So, um, see, I, I just, I, I hate to say it. Michael Maroney is now playing bass drum. Do y'all know Michael? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm real proud of them. And all my other ones, steel pan players, drum set players, doing great things, uh, great educators. 
uh, you know, so. And your son, Drew, has done some pretty cool stuff, too. Yeah, he's, oh, man, I'm, I'm super proud of Drew. He's now kind of running a PR firm. He hasn't been playing a lot of drums lately. However, he came over to the house the other day and jammed. It was a lot of fun. So, um, but, yeah, I'm super proud of him. He's got a PR firm. He's doing video editing and stuff for different people, and it's taken off. So, and he's I follow great. his podcast, too, a little bit. Yeah, he's got his podcast, Hardy Street Boys. Yeah. Hardy Street Boys. Oh, another podcast. I heard, Brandon, I heard you on, uh, what was it, Discussions and Percussion. Yeah, that's right. I learned, I learned a lot about you in that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that uh, I was dealing with uh, some kind of COVID at the time. And oh, yeah. uh, I don't remember a dang thing with that interview. So when you... <laughs> sent me that message i actually went back and listened to it and i never oh, yeah. listened to anything like you know i don't go back and listen to stuff but i was like i don't remember a damn thing that I said. <laughs> <laughs> it was great it was really really good you know thank so, you yeah no i enjoyed it as you know i i love learning things about especially i've, I've gone and listened to a, several of those you know but pe- mostly people i know are people that i've followed or you know because that's really interesting yeah. Well, this, wow, well, this has been really, really cool. Thanks. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I've loved this from yeah. beginning to end, John. Well, thank you guys. I'm I'm super honored. I'm I was I was really uh, you know I guess I, you start talking and you just start talking about stuff and I was, yeah. I was really kind of concerned about what am I going to talk about. Ah, uh, you have plenty to talk about. Talk about. And you did talk about plenty, so well, that's yeah, all good. Like, and that's kind of the thing, right? Like we we had told you before we started recording, like we don't send you send you the questions because we want the ability to go off the script. You know, uh, you know, yeah. we followed a couple little little rabbit rabbit trails here, and you know, and it, it brings us to some some pretty cool points of the discussion that we might not have thought about. So I think, and and, and like and like some of our best interviews that we've done, we've left there wanting to do more. Like we, we didn't ask this question. We didn't ask that one. And, and I, I feel the, the same, same thing. Here. We could have done a lot more. Yeah. It's the same yeah. here for sure. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for taking some time to, to, to chat with us and hopefully we'll have you back on again sometime. Well, I'd love to. There's a lot, I guess, you know, when I start thinking about it, there's lots of, we, we could have talked about and we didn't talk about, but yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll just get Clarence on, and he can he can show us the way. <laughs> like 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 this, my slogan: slow it down, break it down, so you can throw it down. Uh, can I yeah. have to get this? So I got an Etsy shop. Can I do a commercial? Yeah, go for I have it. An Etsy shop. You can go to my Etsy shop. I think it's Doctor Throwdown at dot at Etsy. But my my website too, JohnWooten.com. My books my books are available there. The, you know, the rudimental remedies book and the rudimental reference book and all the solos, but also been writing a lot lately. The last couple of years I've been writing a whole lot, but it's all percussion ensemble and steel band. So right now we, we've just actually finished arranging two of my compositions for orchestra and steel drums. And we, uh, David, we talked about this. These are two pieces where we're going to be playing down in Argentina with the Salta uh, orchestra, yep. along with Sebastian Hojo's is uh, rudimental piece, but these are for steel pans and 
and orchestra. So I'm hoping this takes off. I'm hoping the pieces people love them, and because I, I, I mean, I would love to do that. Just go around playing my own. Music. Right, right. So I've been doing, you know, as far as steel pans and all that stuff. I've been playing other people's music for years. You know, just either either classical music or cover tunes or whatever, reggae, calypsos. And I love doing that, but man, there's nothing like playing your own stuff and then going someplace and playing it. And I've been doing that a lot this past year in Argentina and in Spain and in Poland. And uh, so just this past year, did several concerts and we did, we did a whole program of my music. Some of it rudimental. We did some rudimental stuff, but um, most of it, the other percussion ensemble steel band. And yeah, I'm hoping we can tag along, man. Take us on a ride. I, I hope so, too. And then we could do some other really cool things. Uh, you know, I've been to Argentina now, I think, 12 times. So i got a lot of connections, and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff we can do. Yeah. Nice. So cool. Awesome. Thanks, John, man. This has been fun. This has been a, this has been a great – you mean, how long have we been talking? Because it feels like 10 minutes. No, it's been like a good hour and a half. Hour and a half. That's unbelievable. Yeah, know? yeah. That's what it is. Just talking with talking yeah, with my buddies. Just chatting, chatting with people who like get what you're talking about. It's it goes by like like lightning, man. It, it really does. does. It's really cool. Well, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate it. I'm honored that you would even consider asking me to, to come talk. No, we're honored you came on, man. For sure. Wow. Yeah. Thanks a lot, brother. Until next Thank time. You. And you know what? I'm glad you're not the John Wooten that got convicted of murder in 1933 and got fried in Old Sparky. I'm yeah, really happy I'm, about that. I'm glad I thought he got convicted of accounting. Oh, no, I'm making stories. There's been a few John Wootens. The John, and when you go to my website, make sure it's O-N, all O's, like the river. It's like the river. Wooten, like the river. All the way across. Don't put an E. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put an E because that's the hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And he's, he's, uh, you know, I may be politically incorrect, but he's gay. I mean, he's, wrong. he's gay, but on his website, he was putting some pictures that were just, I, you know, kids would come looking for my drum camp. So they go to John Wu 10 and, and, and then parents were calling me going, what is up with you, man? What's going on? Yeah, like what are you doing? What's what's your side life? All O's, like the so I tried to buy the website from him, but he wouldn't sell it to me. So I said, well, can you please not put up, you know, suggestive pictures on the cover of the website? And he did. He said, "Okay, I'm sorry." He goes, "Yeah, he took them down." So, anyway, yeah, go, thanks, go. John. All O's. the world with happiness so much sweetness togetherness music has no friends or enemy everybody can dingle it
eyes on you, girl My heart said follow through But I know now that I'm way down on your line But the way she feels is fine So don't treat me like a puppet on a string Cause I know how to do my thing Faces of the people 
going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry I watch them grow They'll learn much more than I will ever know And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful If you've liked this podcast and would like to support the Bottom of the Glass, go to patreon.com backslash bottom of the glass podcast to donate or click on the Patreon link on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And thank you. Program produced by Michael Blancaflor, edited by Brendan Mason, hosted by Brendan Mason, Dave Loyal, and Brian Watkinson. Podcast music was created by Michael Blancaflor. Logo was done by Andrew Ruddle.